And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, October 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. A big thank you to Chris Welsh and Al Melkier for all their work, not only throughout the season, but also during my last stretch of paternity leave. Eno, it's good to be back. It's good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, it's fun. It's a fun time to come back in the middle of the postseason. You know, after a fantasy baseball season has ended, so I'll pass along my congratulations to anyone who did well in their leagues this year. Hopefully, uh, we had some role in that, either just by entertaining people or by actually helping. Uh, I wonder how much I can actually be helping someone if I'm not winning a bunch of my leagues myself, but it sounds like based on some stuff I saw on Twitter, based on a few emails that there were a few based winners. on some beer deliveries. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much for the beer for helping you win. I love that. That is a nice, uh, that's a nice perk to, uh, to say the least, but I think we could start with some playoff thoughts because everybody's watching the postseason. Everybody's excited about what's going on there. We'll dig into some off season news. There's always the, the surgery news dump that occurs after a team's season is over. So as each playoff team gets eliminated, you find out just how hurt someone was because they un- invariably undergo a procedure. Were uh, <laughs> Many of them sort of known injuries, but a few surprises mixed in there. But some playoff thoughts. Uh, I wanted to get into Jordan Montgomery for a bit. Pitched really well in game one of the ALCS on Sunday night. Just wanted to ask you, since Jordan Montgomery left the Yankees you know, via trade. It was the Harrison Bader trade uh, two years ago now. What sort of changes has he made both in his time with the Cardinals and now more recently during his time with the Rangers? Yeah, ironically, uh, given last night when it seemed at times that he was pretty junk forward, uh, the biggest change since he's left the Yankees is to highlight the fastballs more. So since, you know, with the Cardinals, he, he really ramped up the four-seam usage for a short period of time. That has gone away, but um, he he kind of toggles that and plays with that. So sometimes he, he throws more four-seamers, I think, than, than teams expect. Um, he's thrown the sinker a little bit more this year. And um, there's a, a little wrinkle. It's kind of interesting. He has a cutter. And by stuff plus, it's his best pitch, or second, I think second best pitch, uh, second to his curve. And he doesn't throw it. He doesn't quite trust it yet. It had short sample bad results, but uh, it was good shape and it got good whiffs. So I think the cutter would be a really kind of a perfect complement to this. And it, if he does ever get any better from here on out, uh, it's due to the cutter. I do think he needs to get better. I, I think he's a really interesting draft for next year because... People are going to remember how good he was in the postseason. People are going to remember the ERA. I'm not sure that they're going to remember this. Jordan Montgomery uh, had the 10th lowest 
uh, strikeout rate among uh, qualified pitchers. So, you know, there's only 44 qualified pitchers anymore. But uh, <laughs> uh, if you just uh, take him and put him among his compatriots in the bottom 10, I don't think you want to be here. Patrick Corbin, Miles Michaelis, Jordan Lyles, Bryce Elder, Taiwan Walker, Dane Dunning, Kyle Gibson, Sandy Alcantara, uh, and Jordan Montgomery. That's the bottom 10. The best ERA was Bryce Elder's 381, and he had like a five and a half, six in the second half. Uh, Dane Dunning is uh, actually the best ERA is Dane Dunning's 370. He also had like a 4.8 ERA in the second half. Uh, I wonder how much uh, different halves and, uh, and, and maybe some, you know, luck with homers or luck with balls in play um, will make people think of Jordan Montgomery and Dane Dunning as uh, obviously better than the rest of this group. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, that's, it's weird to say like Jordan Montgomery's done a great run. He had a great season, but where do you rank him next year? For me, he'd still be at least outside the top 40 starting pitchers. Like he's in the glob, the dreaded glob as we describe mm-hmm. it each and every year. I think the case for him though, is that, the ratios have been really good. I mean, even during his time with the Yankees around, it was Tommy John surgery that cost him all that time in, in 2019 and uh, a good chunk of 2018. For the ballpark especially, he handled mm-hmm. things pretty well. And now that he's in a place where home runs don't get that boost, you're starting to see that next level. It is interesting that he doesn't miss that many bats. We're in this era, especially where if you're not missing bats, it seems like it could really backfire on you. It almost seems like this is the the best possible version of Montgomery if he doesn't increase his strikeout rate. Like this is a very high end 90th, 95th percentile sort of outcome for him that we've seen so far in Texas. But knowing that he has the possibility for one more adjustment with that cutter, that makes me a little bit excited about him. I'd be very curious to see where he ends up in free agency. I think trying to figure out what he's going to get in free agency or if you're in the position of a decision maker, what would you want to give Jordan Montgomery? Part of the the funny thing about the qualified pitchers list is just being on it is a skill, right? Just being healthy enough to yeah. make the qualified pitchers list has some value to major league teams. And of course, well, Patrick Corbin's really stretching that statement. That's that's a push. If, <laughs> if Corbin were a free agent, somebody would give him a, a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. We need any. Uh, we'll Jordan Montgomery going to get more than Robbie Ray and Kevin Gossman? Mm. probably i don't know maybe maybe better health record Uh, they had way better strikeout rates in terms of platform years i think their platform years were better in terms of how in their most recent season when they entered free agency we've seen more k's from montgomery in the past we saw strikeout burning stuff from him during that final season with the yankees and the swing strike rates are pretty good yeah uh and it looks fairly durable uh, in this environment and more durable maybe even than Robbie Ray when he signed his deal. I think it could be around there. What what they get? They got like 5 and 125 basically. Yeah, and I think Marcus Stroman was that same winter as well, so maybe And he had a lower strikeout rate and he got like 5 and 75 or something with an opt out. That might be where I would estimate just based on how teams would would view him as 3 3 for 71 with an opt-out after year two, which uh, that's, we just lived year two, so Marcus Stroman could opt out. what if you just give him, like a, a, give him a longer version of that? So like five years, but an opt-out after three or something? Four and a hundred. Four and a hundred. Yeah, that, that's probably 
Maybe it's five one twenty five. Maybe you know it is a few years later. So five one twenty five is not the same as giving Ray and Gossman five one twenty five. I think he'll I think he'll slot in right there because I think that people will think this is um, a, a more durable uh, version of Strowman. So Strowman himself is going to probably be on be on the market. I think. I think one thing we we were doing we were getting ready for the show looking at the potential class of, of free agent pitchers there's some some knowns and some unknowns with player opt-outs and uh, team options if you're a player with a chance to opt out as a pitcher it would be highly unlikely that you would would pass on the, the opportunity to go into free agency right now there are plenty of teams with deep pockets that need pitching yeah i mean i think there's a, a sort of desperation the list looks okay to me it looks fairly healthy if i was if it was a normal year and i was shopping and i said okay the top end is blake snell and and aaron nola um probably eduardo rodriguez is going to be out there um and you got stroman and jordan montgomery that's that's a pretty good top end i mean that's there's some there's some shopping to be done there um and, and sunny gray let's not forget sunny gray i think he he goes into that group and then You've got your bounce back guys. Uh, I think that you know, in terms of one and fifteen or, or, or two and fifteen, two and thirty with an opt out, like Lucas Giolito is a guy that'll get something like that. Luis Severino is going to get something like that. Tyler Malley coming off of injury is going to get something like that. Um, and then you've got some interesting one year guys that are still trying to establish themselves, like Sean Manaya. Uh, I think will be might be back out there. Um, you know, Andrew Haney is always, uh, it seems like an adjustment away. He has such a great fastball. You just, you're just wondering if there's just like a secondary you could give him that would, that would get the next level. Alex Cobb might opt out. Um, so there's a fairly good upper class, middle class and, and lower class to this, uh, to this, uh, this, uh, group of available pitchers. However, uh, the need is, I think pretty strong. I think that's what you're talking about in terms of like, I, I was just looking at the NL West, and I feel like you've got uh, I, the Padres have like three spots. I would I would say that like people are like, oh, they've got these guys in the minors, and I, I've already forgotten their names. <laughs> but uh, they've got some guys that are close in the minors. But I, I, almost no team is like, yeah, we're going to like just paper these rookies into a spot in the rotation. They, they almost every team wants to have like even the Potters themselves. They did this before. You want to have five veterans in your rotation, and then you count on the rookies as six, seven, and eight. You know, um, and if you do that uh, right now, Lugo's probably going to opt out. Uh, uh, Nick Martinez may may opt in, uh, but Michael Walker I think is going to opt out unless the they take a two and thirty two on him. That's that's their option. So um, you know that's a that's a big choice to take for a guy that it doesn't stay healthy very much. So uh, if they if they don't take those guys back uh, or they or those guys go on the open market, they'll have you Darvish coming off of surgery and Joe Musgrove uh, who ended the season injured. And nobody else. So they'll have three spots in the rotation. The Dodgers will have two or three. I mean, Clayton Kershaw, we were, you know, he might retire. Yeah, I mean, Kershaw is considering having another examination on his shoulder. And when he came back from the IL this year, the velo was down. We all saw what happened to him in the postseason. His stuff, his stuff was through the basement. Like his stuff was eighty-three. In, in in his final starts in the regular season in the, in the playoffs. He, this is a guy who has like 105, 107, 107. Like whatever, whatever he was saying about feeling right and just pitching poorly, he was hurt. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it would be a very disappointing final chapter to a Hall of Fame career if, if this is the end for Clayton Kershaw, but sometimes that's the result of pushing yourself physically as far as you can go and having having your arm just break down before before you decide to call it a career. It'll be 36 in March. I, I think with Kershaw, I just keep living in this space of it's the Dodgers or the Rangers or it's retirement. Those are the three options for him at any given time. And it's probably always going to be a one-year deal. It's probably going to be a relative bargain based on what he does in a typical season, even if you bake in 50 to 70 missing innings. But I think we just learned something from Brandon Woodruff, which is like if you're in a very early draft um, and you're drafting right now or you're thinking about keeper decisions right now, I think you just have to be really conservative because he's got this extra uh, risk that you know he's going to go in and they could say, you know, he might even come back, try to come back, and they could say, you know, your labrum's frayed or whatever. We got to get in there. Uh, and if they do that, then you're, you'd be lucky to get any innings from him this this coming season. So, you know, you know Brandon Woodruff was like kind of in that, like, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen stage. And then he had anterior capsule uh, surgery, which I thought that Julio Urias had had... Um, had had labrum surgery, and it may still be, maybe these things are related, but uh, I looked it up, and it said that Julio Urias' injury was a a capsule injury. Yeah, the capsules are a a problem for a couple guys right now. Brandon Woodruff could miss all 2024 after having that repaired. I think Kyle Wright had, if not the exact same surgery, a similar surgery on his capsule on the same day. And the thing that's really weird to me is that even if these injuries are only similar and not exactly the same, Woodruff pitched so well when he was healthy this year. Mm-hmm. Right, right to me, it makes sense. He never looked he never looked okay in the times yeah. he tried to pitch. Brandon Woodruff looked like typical Woodruff working around it, which I think makes this all the more confusing and, and frustrating. Yeah, the the reason why they're immediately uh, counted out. I was reading a study about uh, capsule surgery uh, nineteen month possible wow. return yeah i mean that puts him like maybe delayed in 2025 depending on how everything goes yeah so it's a legit one and people who had it in their late 30s didn't really come back or in the mid to late 30s didn't really come back so right you know could be more in the ureus camp where he's younger and he's going to come for it. woodruff i don't know I don't know what to count him. Right, thirty. He's lines. right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> is he young yeah. enough to to have good outcomes, or is he on the old side? I don't know. Like, uh, I would be very careful with him. And and if I, I don't think in like an auto new situation, you know, I've got him for like some bargain, eighteen, twenty one dollars, something where it's like you would totally keep him even for a year off. If it was just Tommy John, you would just kind of nurse him through, you know. Uh, I don't think I'm going to keep him because I just don't know. The, the outcomes here aren't like, oh, he's just having Tommy John. He'll be fine in 2025. It's not It's not quite like that. So uh, all those things are, are, are sucky and, and bad, but they also mean, you know, even the Brewers may want a veteran starter on the market because they've got some young guys coming up with Mizorowski and Ashby, who I think move up on draft boards a little bit because they're going to need them. You know, they're going to need, uh, I would say, 150 combined innings from Mizorowski and Ashby next year. Yeah. And just to give everyone the update on Ashby, he, he was de- he was dealing with shoulder stuff pretty much all season. I think he threw three, six, like seven innings in games trying to get back at the end of the year. 
basically in a rehab assignment. The velo is just starting to come back for him. So even Ashby, to me, is more of a, a lottery ticket as far yeah. as your early draft goes. Well, Mizorowski would be a lottery ticket most years because he just touched double A. But I feel yeah. feel like everybody in that organization is one chair closer like because of the Woodruff thing. So Yeah, Robert Gasser, too. And I, I think yeah. when you, you look at a team like the Brewers, it's... The sky is falling in in terms of like Brewers Twitter and like oh the window's closing Corbin Burns is gone like it's unbelievable how negative coming off of a a quick postseason exit but another postseason appearance for an organization that hasn't had a lot of success they're in they're in this window that's probably the most successful stretch in franchise history that's why I think they might keep Burns I think you can talk yourself into it because why why would you break the band up any earlier than you have to given how good Burns is, if you're not good, if you're underperforming, could trade a midseason and still get something back and it would still help your future. Freddie Peralta is really important to them now. We saw a nice second half from Freddie. I think we talked about it midseason as a, a guy that really deserved better results in the first half. I'm glad that worked out. And if you traded for him midseason, you, you got the best of Freddie Peralta. They've got outfield depth to trade from. Right, Jackson Churio probably not far away from the big leagues. Plus the young guys they brought up this year, like Freelick and Weimer. I think the big question is also like Robert Gasser. Is he going to be good enough to be a big league starter and give you five innings consistently? Control has been a problem for him in the upper levels of the minor leagues. Can he get past that and contribute? They have done a really surprisingly good job patching holes with Wade Miley and even Colin, Colin Ray, Ray and Julio and, Tehran. Yeah. I can't believe they got anything out of Julio Toronto. I was like, what is happening? I was sure it was going to be like a six ERA. And it, it, then, uh, it started to fall apart a little bit. It started off better than it ended. <laughs> yeah. But that was the bid they shopped in, and they still won the NL Central. So that was pretty remarkable. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To your broader point, the the optimism this time of year with pitcher injuries should be as low as it is at any point because there's so much that's unknown. You want to start to be a little optimistic. Maybe February, March, you know, guys are in spring training. They report. At least get past the announcing surgery part. It, it, it's yeah, a little bit rarer to announce a surgery in February. I mean, sometimes sometimes it happens, but, you know, yeah. they, they're trying to come back and they ramped it up and then something went pop. But, you know, most of the time you hear about it right after the season, so... Yeah, early draft season, alive and well. I know, can't believe people are drafting a lot. Like it's, it, it's, it, I'm excited that people are drafting more at this time of year than than ever before. I hope it continues to grow. And there are plenty of people out there that they love this podcast and they probably don't listen in October and they're going to pick us up in like December or January or February. And I, I totally understand that. But if you don't want baseball to stop, if you like fantasy baseball year round, 
it's finally here. It's like becoming a more normal thing. Yeah. Where do you draft Justin Verlander if you're drafting or just like now? We just saw, I, I thought that was a, I, I would describe it as gritty, uh, <laughs> solid, um, not outstanding. Uh, his, he didn't really have his, his, his best fastball. Uh, he only threw one fastball over 96. Uh, him and Jordan Montgomery had the same fastball velocity. That was an uh, unexpected thing that happened in the game last night. So uh, at the same time, uh, like his fastball is now, uh, for the year, was below average stuff plus. He's obviously not exactly who he used to be because you know the strikeouts, the whiff rates were all down. Um, and yet he he grit his way through 160 innings and was a top 20 starter. I just don't think that I can give him uh, automatic top 20. And I, when I say top 20 starter, auction calculator, year to date, uh, Verlander, uh, 20th or 21st, right uh, around Kodai Senga, Chris Bassett, and Pablo Lopez, Freddie Peralta. That's the grouping he's in. Um, and I don't know that I'm going to push him. I had him, uh, you know, in the top 15 to start the season. Um, and that's, and so listen, if you, if you draft him in the top 15 and got 21st out of him, you're not, you're not sad. Uh, that wasn't a, a bad outcome for you, but next year, just, just a little bit more risk, you know, going further into the postseason. the fastball is just not as good. So I think that's kind of where I'd put him 20th. Yeah, I might even go a little lower than that. It's going to depend on a lot of uh, risk tolerance with younger pitchers that haven't done it before. There's so many, how many injuries, they though. Have, how many innings will he, he give you? So many injuries right now. Guys that are going to miss either you know, all of 2024 or a significant portion of 2024 that I, I could still see Verlander maybe 30 to 35 among starting pitchers on most sets of rankings. How many innings would you project him for? I mean, coming off wow, Tommy you're John. Gonna, you're going to push him down that far. I, I mean, it may end up being higher just based on all the absences, but. Well, uh, okay. In this auction calculator situation. So you're taking Kodai over him. Yeah. Uh, Sonny finished ahead of him. You're taking Sonny Gray ahead of him? Probably. Wow. That's closer because Sonny Gray's had a lot of injuries. They'd He's be in the same older. tier for me. Chris Bassett. I'm not taking Chris Bassett ahead of Justin Verlander, I don't think. I think what what this becomes is it becomes an exercise of looking at the guys that were lower in the auction calculator that were to throw more oh, innings. Who will get ahead? Who's going to jump ahead? Tyler right? Glass now was twenty eighth. He might easily, be ahead of him. Easily ahead for me. Scoob Freddie Peralta twenty third. You might push him ahead of Verlander just because he's younger. You know, I would. It's not me being a homer. Um, Glass now. Yeah, I think you mentioned Pablo Glass Lopez had a big velo increase this year. You know, what you're just hoping for is 180 innings instead of 160. But maybe if they both throw 160 innings, Pablo Lopez's innings are going to be better next year. I mean, here's oh, a Lopez few. Lopez 100, 194 this year. How about How Jesus below Lizardo? Verlander in auction value? Yeah, I don't know. So I, I know the, the value calculation formulas can vary a lot. But like Jesus Lazardo versus Verlander for next year, I think it'd be on Lazardo for Lopez sure. Lopez didn't have a lot of wins. That's oh, silly. Yeah. Well, we know that's that's a noisy, very noisy stat. Scooble? Scooble's ahead of Verlander for me next oh, year for sure. Oh, spicy, maybe. Hmm. Max Bybee? Not Tanner Bybee. Max Bybee. Freed. Bybee probably not, but 
Bybee's not like miles behind him. He's just behind him a little. Hmm. I don't know. When you start getting used, you, you were talking about thirties and forties. Like when I look at thirties and forties, uh, you know, the thirtieth, uh, like the those those players this year. Nathan Eovaldi was thirty fifth. Tyler Wells was thirty sixth. Uh, Jose Barrios was thirty eighth, and then it gets it gets kind of crazy. Like Wade Miley was forty sixth. You know, <laughs> Cole Reagans and Aaron Savali were forty nine and fifty. So. Hmm. I don't know that I'm going to push Verlander all the way down into 30. I Here's the other he'll part be of this. Sort of 20 to 25 for me. Of course, the team situation is still good. He'll be in Houston again next year. He's 41 years old. In terms of the underlying skills, like the stuff has backed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. K rate's down and the walk rate is up. Like, do yeah. you think? Do you think at least one of those things goes back to previous norms? And if one of those things goes back to previous norms, how much more likely is it that it's walk rate as opposed to strikeout rate, given his age and given the decline in his stuff? Oh, well, I don't know. There's a, there's a certain amount of interrelation with all this because, you know, uh, he threw fewer fastballs this year. And, you know, those are the pitches that you can supposedly command. So the more he throws sliders and curves, the the more he might have more walks, you know. Right. But it was so, his worst fastball velocity since 2015. And I can't imagine it's going to get better next year. Although I guess a, a year out from surgery, people might point out that it could get better, but usually it's command that gets better. So I'm going to guess walk rate. Yeah, that's where I would be too, which is fine. How would you even compare, circling back to the postseason for a minute, Verlander versus Nathan Evaldi? We've seen Evaldi go through, you know, velo fluctuations and and kind of wild swings and effectiveness. And of course, he's pitching very well in the playoffs again. I had to do a little bit of pre-show research just to see like how good is Nathan Evaldi in the playoffs, really? And actually, he's basically from a like a ratio standpoint. He's John Smoltz with about a quarter of the innings. John Smoltz Jeez. had 209 playoff yeah. innings in his career, yeah, which is bonkers. Third There's only third three. In playoff wins they showed was uh, behind Verlander and who's first? Uh, Andy Pettit's got 19. Yeah, Andy Pettit's first. Yeah, Andy Pettit has the all-time record for most postseason innings. By the way, 276 yeah. and two thirds. Verlander 220. Uh, Tom Glavin at 218. But anyway, Evaldi has been excellent. A sub-3 ERA, great walk rate, great strikeout rate, has shown up in multiple postseasons now. He's only 33. I say that every time I bring up Nathan Evaldi. I'm, I'm, he's three or four years younger than I expect because of how long he's been around, the injuries he's dealt with. How much do you trust Evaldi with you know similar flaws, but... A, a track record that's also very good, even though it's not a Verlander type track record. Like, do you trust the walk rate to come back down for Evaldi next year after a basically a, a recent career worst, like a five year worst at eight point one percent this year? I I don't know. I I, I trust Evaldi like um unfortunately like I trust a lot of other old veterans that I'm not sure about the innings it's like it's sort of the Kershaw conundrum again where it's like yeah I think he'll be good for most of the innings that he's in and I know that you know 144 might look good and you add you know the postseason numbers in but you you know Uvalde wasn't good for all those 144 innings you know 
Um, and uh, it, it is just scary to see two straight years now where he starts the season at 97, 98. Or, you know, last year he started the season 98, uh, 97, and then it was 94 to end the season. This year he started 96, pumped it up to 97 a little bit, and then was 93, 94 to end the season. Um, and, you know, in the playoffs, again, he's 95-9, and he said there was a mechanical fix and some stuff he was doing differently. But uh, this is just too much of a pattern for me to ignore. And so I would assume that, you know, next year, Rivaldi will throw 100 innings I like, you know, 20 innings I hate, and uh, and leave me in the lurch if I'm in head-to-head at the end of the season. So, you know, it's not necessarily something I'm signing up for too hard. But in, like, NFBC-style leagues, you know, why don't I just take the 100? You know, it's 100 innings of good that I want, and then maybe I just drop him uh, when he gets into that uh, bad velo stage. What do you think, Evaldi, without looking... I know you've got the player... But how many people actually up. dropped Evaldi when he was, the velo was down? I think I they think, all. I think people did. I think yeah. some people. I think twelve teamers. I think that that that's mm-hmm. where I find the twelve team league versus the fifteen team league to be a lot more difficult. Is that you? You almost have to cut him in a twelve and a fifteen. You feel like you can't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's a miserable spot to be. Where do you think Evaldi ranked among starting pitchers on the auction calculator for twenty twenty three? I think I just saw him like thirty. Yeah, thirty fifth. Yeah, yeah, right there with Jordan Montgomery, Brandon Woodruff, Tyler Wells, and Nick I almost Pavetta. exactly nailed it. I mean, that was like my ranking for him <laughs> the season. It was like thirty fifth or thirty eighth, and it was it was head of everybody. And then at the, you know, in the mid season drafts, I was like, why people are like, why are you low on him? And I'm like, well, I was high on him, but now he's losing his velo, man. I got a point to that, you know. So I don't know. I I, I think he will be again similar. Back in top thirty, I I don't I I can't push him higher. Not totally fair, but I though. I think I think this is it's a similar feeling that I have about Verlander at this stage, and that's why you have Verlander a little bit lower than I do. Yeah, right. Because I, I could see it. They're both draftable, and I would also throw back the idea that if you're going to take pitchers like this be careful with the number of pitchers like this that's what i'm saying is that the one thing i hate about it is become it's a more of a normal profile it's more of that like man there are always guys that i think i could get 100 good innings out of in this draft (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are the guys where i can get 150 or 180 good innings those are the guys i have to prioritize and i guess maybe sadly i wouldn't necessarily put either of these guys on that list Here's a question for you, both fantasy for next season and even from a real life perspective, if you were in the position of signing one of these guys to a mega deal, Blake Snell versus Aaron Nola for 2024 and beyond. Blake Snell ended up finishing just behind Garrett Cole, tied with Spencer Strider in terms of dollars earned by that Fangraphs auction calculator that we keep bringing up. And Aaron Nola, who by stuff... I would always wonder, like, how is he not more consistent? He seems like he'd be like the most consistent fifteen to twenty dollar pitcher year over year, and instead he's 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 above that range and below that range. This year he was forty seventh in the auction calculator. That's just weird to me. Uh, But which of these guys would you actually trust more from a long term perspective? And of course, which one do you like better for twenty twenty four based on how things stand right now? We don't know where they're going to pitch next year, so that's a, a huge variable. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one because 
Um, so, guys with good command, uh, we did have some uh, findings. Billy Bean mentioned this, and Jeff Zimmerman looked at it, and there was a little bit of a whiff that, you know, guys with good command um, have better longevity, are injured less. Um, and Aranola, uh, by location plus is, uh, you know, depending on where you put the, the selective endpoint, he's top third or first or whatever, you know, so he's uh, top three or, or, or first. So he, he definitely is a guy who commands the ball well. Um, and the question for me is just, uh, at what point does he drop into that kind of miles Michaelis, uh, grouping of pitchers where your you know your stuff has dropped to the point where you're just a command guy you know and if you just look at uh you know something like fastball stuff plus for Aranola, it's gone from 114 in 2020 to 95 uh this season um there are plenty of people who survive with that considering that his knuckle curve is still a plus pitch and he's got other plus pitches and he has this excellent command but you know, there. You know, when do you become Miles Michaelis is a question for Aaron Nola. Whereas Blake Snell is coming from a, a very high stuff uh, uh, perspective, but he's also uh, riskier because of injury. Riskier because uh, this is one of the years where he actually mixed up his pitch mix the most, but that also led to a lot of walks. So, you know, uh, how often is he going to come out in the fourth, and how often is he going to give you 110 innings instead of 180? Uh, he seems to kind of alternate two or three seasons of 110, 120 with uh, one season of 180. Um, so Nola is going to be more of a, a guy who's going to eat up innings and be more solid. But if you were going to like come down to the postseason and you, I could tell you both of them are, are healthy, which one would you want? Hmm. For just like a game seven situation, like who do I want taking the ball? I mean, right now, Nola looks great. He's had a great postseason. It looks amazing. Yeah, I think today the stuff is close enough where I would take Nola, but mm. I think the the problem might be that if if, it's, if, if it you're right, worse, if it goes down, year three of a six year deal, I might feel better about my chances with Snell. So a tough question for sure. I think I would take Nola, and I, I think I tend to when it comes to keeper dynasty, trying to think about what a front office should do. I would err on the side of caution and prefer Aaron Nola. Will you rank Aaron Nola over Blake Snell next year? Assuming similar park situations, you know, where it's not like something that could throw you one direction or the other. Probably Assuming Snell one over Snell Nola. Signs with the Yankees. Probably the Snell, yeah. <laughs> just just slightly. But, man, I don't know. It's a volume game. Like I, I People are like, he's waffling. Yeah, I am waffling. I... I think you have to look back at Blake Snell's track record and remind yourself that yes, 180 this year was great, and he's done 180 one time before. 2022, 128. 2021, 128 and two thirds. 2019, 107. That's a lot of risk baked in. Nola is 180, 205, 193. Yeah. Yeah. This year, the worst year we've seen from Aaron Nola in the last five worst non COVID year is Blake Snell's best for innings. And I think, given what we were talking about earlier with all these pitchers that have either risk because they're young or risk because they've dealt with other injuries already, I think I'm putting a premium on someone like Nola who not only gets volume, 
but still does miss a lot of bats too. He's not he's not doing it the way that peak Sandy Alcantara was doing it. Low K rate, huge volume, counting stats end up being fine. Right, right, right. He's doing both simultaneously. So it's it's I think, tough. I think what'll end up happening in drafts is that um I'll I'll just see more Snell types like you know, Glasnow, Snell, Eovaldi, Verlander are already, you know, Snell's on the upper end of that, but it's already like, how many innings am I going to get, you know, but they're going to be good when they're in. There's so many of those, and there's actually not that many of the Aaronolas, you know, <laughs> where I, I might, uh, and we're talking probably, you know, it's hard sometimes to just know industry stuff and even adp numbers aren't very useful right now because yes people are drafting but it's not a lot of sample so it's hard to know what the industry will do but let's assume that these are all like in the sort of uh late 20s early 30s you know maybe snell jumps into the top 15 or something in some ranks or you know it was a good season but let's assume they're all in the sort of 25 to 35 range because they could be um so I've I've taken a stud. What I'm going to say is, well, hey, I've got four or five. I've got four guys who could give me a hundred innings this year that are good, and one guy who gave me two hundred in a hundred innings that will probably give me two hundred innings. I don't know how good they are. I think I'd rather take the two hundred inning guy and just take whichever of the other four drops. So if I end up with, um you know, Nola in Eovaldi because I passed on Snell. Like, aren't I getting more, like, didn't I do the right thing scarcity-wise? You know what I mean? I think so. I mean, I think you can make an argument that from a stage of his career perspective, there's nothing that prevents Blake Snell from topping 200 innings other than his own efficiency like part of the reason he doesn't get there if he's not hurt is because he walks a lot of guys pitch count goes up innings count suffers as a result of that but again the the scarcity aspect of this yes i you can you can very easily look at a typical blake snell season again look at 21 and 22 instead of 23 look at the innings look at the ratios look at the k's and say hey wait those young stud pitchers that I'm really worried about, either the time they're going to get called up or how their innings will be managed, they're more likely to do that than anybody else I can draft in that range is likely to match what Aaron Nola does because there are actual restrictions that keep those guys from even being able to to get to Nola's recent volume floors. And those innings matter. Blake Snell in 2022, I just ran the auction calculator, 50th best pitcher by mm-hmm. fantasy. You might look at that and be like, 338 ERA with all those strikeouts, awesome. But the 120 innings matter. It made him a 50th best as opposed to, and yes, you can add in what you get off the wire, blah, blah, blah. But like that becomes very specific to your league. Uh, and and most of the time when you're drafting, I think at least the top three pitchers, you're, you're hoping for an all-year pitcher. You're hoping for 180 innings. And so... Yes, those pitchers that kind of you put the over under at 120 innings or whatever, uh, those will be those will be interesting drafts next year. Considering how many injuries we had this year, the fact that uh, the offensive uh, the league is an offense like the offensive offense league wide went up, and so it made it even harder uh, to put together a pitching staff. Like, yeah, you're gonna it's gonna be really difficult when you're you know looking at a second and third starting pitcher to to 
push the the button for a guy who might give you 100 innings. Yeah. So a debate that will likely rage on through uh, position preview season and probably through like the winter meetings from a real life perspective, too. I don't know what more we can learn. I guess, it, it, you know, this postseason, if you're looking for something to learn, I I think and it's it's not sexy and it's not exciting, but it's I spent a lot of time talking about it in my live blog yesterday. Sometimes fastball velos because. You know, Jordan Montgomery pushing his fastball velo to some of his best numbers. Like, what if he averaged 94 next year for the season? Uh, that would be something newish. It seems possible given the velos he's throwing right now. Um, and it seems on the other side, it seems possible that Justin Verlander could spend next year averaging under 94. Uh, so I'd be interested to see how his velo looks in his next start out. I'd be interested to see what Max Scherzer's velo is. When he comes back, see how bad that shoulder injury was and how quickly he can bounce back from it and uh, and how hard he can throw. These are it's, you know, it's better than focusing too hard on the results, you know, and just be like, ah, Jordan Montgomery, he's an ace, you know. Well, (laughs) you know, there's a there's a thing out there. I think it's Petriello, but somebody has a a heat map of where um, where Montgomery threw a sinker last night. And it's it was like eighty percent shadow, and shadow is this uh, this zone that's like not the heart of the zone uh, and not outside of the zone. It's that those edges that you're all the edges, yeah. And so he threw a ton of sinkers, and he and, and like if you're watching the game, you know you know that was true. Like there were so many sinkers just on the black, just inside. You know there was one where Nate Lowe like sort of hopped out of the way and was like, oh damn, that was a strike. You know and like. <laughs> so many of those that were just perfectly placed and i don't know i just yes that demonstrates good command but doesn't that feel a little bit tight ropey <laughs> it's like if he doesn't it, it, throw 80 percent sinkers yeah. in the shadow range does he get blasted because there were some there was some hard contact so i don't know right and i just think i still think we're seeing a, an outcome based on how he's pitching right now that is a very very favorable outcome for a, a yeah. good but not elite pitcher like he's getting yeah. closer to elite results than he should with the stuff that he currently has that's not at all throwing shade at him he's showing up the the best possible time but it makes it tough to evaluate him for the future and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You had something in a live blog last week. It would have been Twins-Astros. I think it was the game the Twins got eliminated in. And you wrote that the Astros might have been sitting slow. And that might have been how they hit Sonny Gray. Because Sonny Gray's best pitch, Savant has him at six different pitches, has been the sweeper. And the Astros maybe effectively 
took that away. And I was wondering how often do teams try and take away an opposing pitcher's best offering by using an approach like that? And what's the downside? Like, does the does the downside of that approach vary? Does it hurt you more to sit slow if Sonny Gray has a better fastball? Like, does Sonny Gray's fastball just being kind of okay, velo-wise, make it possible for you to sit slow and use the approach the Astros used more effectively? Sonny Gray had the best sweeper in baseball this year. Uh, the batting average on it was 097. He threw a 576 of them. He had the batters hit 097, 118 uh, slugging uh, with a 53% strikeout rate. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. It is sort of amazing that to think that the Astros might be like, yeah, let's sit on that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but what they did see, I think, was that Sonny Gray, uh, in his start before, in postseason start before, ramped that sweeper usage up to 40%. And once you start throwing a pitch 40 or 50% of the time, this is the fastball thing, you can anticipate it. And now you're anticipating it, you're keying into it, you, you're you swinging at that velocity that's sitting slow, you know. You're you're putting yourself in the best position, uh, dis, uh, best position to succeed, and um, you're taking advantage of something that's actually predictable. Uh, where you know the whole job of the pitcher is to remain unpredictable. So you know over the course of a season, I think Sonny Gray would easily correct this. You know, like you would see, like, oh man, I've been throwing the sweeper. People are sitting sweeper. Okay, time to break out more curveballs. And and I just think in the game they didn't adjust fast enough. You know, there's because uh, they're like with every one of those sweepers, you're like, well, was that just a hanger, quote unquote? Was that like just caught too much of the zone or was he anticipating it? And uh, and so if it's a hanger, you think, well, I just can't hang one like that again, you know, and you're like, got to bury these more. I would if I was the catcher, I might be like, hey, let's uh, you know, and they did do a couple sort of freeze you know, called strikes on fastballs uh, that seemed like maybe they were figuring it out. But uh, in the end, he got, uh, he gave up six hits on a sweeper, which with a 091 average is not, you know, I, I can without looking tell you that that didn't happen all year. It <laughs> seems impossible that it could have, given how amazing that pitch was for him throughout the year. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting thing that came up on the broadcast that I happened to see in that live blog that you were working on last week. Uh, speaking of the twins, Byron Buxton had arthroscopic knee surgery. And I don't know if I believe them, but the twins are insisting that Byron Buxton will be able to play center, center field. field. <laughs> and I kind of think... For me, unless they knew he needed this surgery like all season long and their their way of managing it was DH, off-season surgery, it gives him enough time to recover, and then he can be Byron Buxton defensively again. If that's what they had in mind the whole time, great, good for them. I thought they were trying to save him for the second half of the season. That was not the plan. For me, it's more of a, I will believe it when I see it. So now from both a, a fantasy and real-life perspective, we're looking at this guy that the the most exciting facet of his game is still on hold, right? He's a fantastic center fielder when he can play out there. I don't know if he'll be that guy if he does play out there again with all the injuries he's dealt with over the course of his career. And from a fantasy perspective, it's a UT only bat on a guy whose injury history is unfortunately about as full as any position player in the game during the time that he's been in the league. Yeah. You know, we, we, t we say that we're not that great at predicting injury and don't want to put the injury prone tag on anybody, but I think you can put it on him. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's, it's there. a combination of bad luck and, and other factors, but it, it's, it's just, what he's just got. It's too stark. You know, you have one year with the 500 and not even another year where over 400 plate appearances. It's pretty obvious. I The the thing that's that's fascinating to me is like, if you just take the counting stats off and the plate appearances off, like he's had some good seasons in the last three years. You know, despite being really small sample in terms of plate appearances, like he did 306 of 19 homers and nine stolen bases in 2021. Even the with the lesser batting average in 2022, he hit 224, but 28 homers and six stolen bases. And even this year with a 207 and 17 homers and nine stolen bases, if you don't look at the runs in RBI, that's a player that's valuable in AL only leagues, right? So what's fascinating to me is like this player has fantasy value. Maybe it's just DFS when he's healthy and he's in. Um, but is there a format? Is there a format where you would draft him and and even think about wanting to draft him and and maybe putting the extra buck on it? And what I'm putting forward is maybe it's AL only. Because even if he just gives you 207, 17, and 9 again, something like that, that's valuable in AL only. You may not spend that much to get it. And then there is the, still the superstar chance of, you know, 450, 500 uh, plate appearances and 30 home runs and 10, and 10, 15 stolen bases. Like that's still, there's still a non-zero chance of that. I mean, it gets smaller and smaller every year. So is, is Ale only the place to, to consider him? Like really deep leagues? Is that is that where he is now? Yeah, it's almost counterintuitive because replacing players in those deep leagues is so difficult. But I think the price has finally come down enough on Buxton where expectations are across the board a partial season. And because the skills at their peak are so far away from the skills at their floor, I think we've reached the point where if you're an AL laborer in March, or late February, and Buxton comes up, you're probably talking about single digits for what he goes for in a salary cap situation, I'm, right? I'm so, interested because you know what else goes for single digits? Lefty platoon outfielders that might get you 450 plate appearances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, seven to nine dollars on Buxton could be enough to actually get him. It, it probably depends on when he's thrown out and a couple things like that. But it it makes sense because the underlying numbers, the barrel rates have been good four seasons running. He's been more patient the last two seasons. Like the approach is just a little better than it was, even though he strikes out a lot. 30% works when you hit the ball as hard as Byron Buxton does. And even with a knee problem all season, nine for nine is a base dealer. Still stolen. He's an, yeah. he's a very efficient base dealer. So you don't have to draft him expecting the pie in the sky season anymore. You can just draft him as a last outfielder who's ut only for the start of the season of course yeah i think and i could, might be I think handsomely I could rewarded. get with him even at nfbc because uh he might drop all the way to bench rounds right now two drafts just in the last few weeks that are in the adp report adp's 295 overall uh where does where does the bench start like who's he around it's like tommy fam max kepler yeah. Luke Rayleigh. Yeah, those those are like in might, and out of the lineup type players. I might take Bucks in there. Yeah, if he stays down there. And I think until until there is some <laughs> kind of indication. The yearly cycle of hype with him. 
that cycle can't begin until spring training at the get earliest. Good, yeah, get some good health news. Like, <laughs> if he's actually playing center field in the Grapefruit League and he has an amazing spring, then there can be some helium. But the helium would bring him from the pick 300 range to what? Pick 200 at most? He's not going to crack the top can't 200. Forget, you can't forget the rest of the plate appearance. No. Numbers. Of course not. So I, I hope he's healthy. I hope this actually gets the job done for him. But it's just one more line on a very crowded injury ledger. And the same could be said for his teammate, Alex Kirilov. I just saw he had surgery on his right labrum. That injury popped up in July, oh, kept no. him off the playoff roster. And we know Kirilov has had wrist surgeries in recent years. And I'm at the point now with Kirilov where I, I think I'm just, you know, you think about him more as like a, a cheap keeper dynasty league sort of guy in the bottom of your roster i don't even know if i want to wait it out right now i think i just want to let somebody else burn that roster spot and if he makes it back healthy which we always hope players do at that point i could be excited about him again there's a fairly boring uh you know strikeout rate barrel combination here that's developed it's kind of strange we're talking about a guy who Basically, over the last two years, has put together two-thirds of a season with a 24 25% strikeout rate and a 7% barrel rate. It's yeah. just a weird combination that I would not get excited about unless it had still had that Fangraph's 50-60 hit tool uh, grade, you know, sitting on the same page as that. You know, where you're like, okay, he could get that strikeout rate down, you know, and a 7% barrel rate works if he... Strikes out 20% of the time because you're 280, 290 average with it, you know? I'm still, from a skills perspective, a believer, but I think the injury situation is so bad that that's right, what's that holding me even, back. Yeah, I wasn't like, even talking about the injury aspect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the the chances that he lowers the K rate are still there, and he makes a lot of hard contact. Hard hit rate, brief time at AAA this year, Kirilov was there, 48.1% hard hit rate. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And we've seen flashes of that even at the big league level around all of these injuries. I think the injuries have a big, big influence on in why that barrel rate hasn't been there. Labrum's a big injury to come back from. Uh, the other big news in baseball right now, this was a, a shocker that, that came across on, on Monday morning. Kim Eng has chosen to part ways with the Marlins. There was a mutual option in her contract. She decided not to exercise it. Uh, there was a statement that Kim Eng released that and it outlined some of the reasoning behind it. And it, it sounds like it was more about the ownership's uh, lack of interest in investing in baseball operations the way that, that Kim Eng wanted them to. So this is pretty interesting because there are other teams looking for GMs right now, including one in Boston where she has previously worked. Kim Eng's resume, we talked about it when the Marlins hired her as the GM back in 2020. It's two resumes full of qualifications to be a GM. So she's got plenty of places she could go next. This seems like a pretty big blow for the Marlins, though, coming off of a playoff appearance and and having so much positive momentum outside of that Sandy Alcantara injury. The most wins uh, in the last 10 years or something for the Marlins in a season. Mm-hmm. Uh Definitely, uh, you know, and it doesn't seem like when she talks about, you know, different visions for the future, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is, you know, you know, major league investment, but she did manage to convince ownership to push payroll from 84 million in 2022 to 110 in 2023. Um, and, you know, that manifested in, you know, not every signing was great, but, uh, you know, you got the Cueto uh, signing, the, the you know, um, 
uh, the, some of the additions that they did in trade, like the, the Josh Bell addition, I think, you know, by they did trade away Segura, but like in that, I think they ended up taking on uh, some money um, and, and at least the uh, the chance that Bell opts into 16 and a half million in 2024. Um, so there was definitely some investment in the major league product, but um, the other things that that can can turn one sour on ownership is meddling, uh, which I don't know if that would come up in a contract negotiation situation. He knows exactly how much he's going to meddle. She's not going to ask him during a contract negotiation, "Are you going to meddle less?" <laughs> no, no, you, you get that get that exposure from working. Yeah, you know that for just a while from, and yeah. yeah. So so then there's personal investment. So like she's she might have asked, "Hey, don't put me don't make me a lame duck GM next year. We just had some success. Extend me." And he said no. Um or uh investment in non-major league uh stuff. So sort of investment in in the minors, investment in player development, investment in in staff. I need more, I need more analysts, I need more this, I need more that. So um you know, those are the different ways that uh, that ownership, that the, the GM and an ownership might come to head to head. And I think that maybe it was investment in the team at large that would show if you invested in me in a two or three year deal. You know what I mean? Like, sure. invest in me in a two or three year deal so that I feel that I can believe you when you say that you have a commitment to investing more in the team largely if you were not going to give me a two or three year deal then i don't even believe you that you're going to invest anymore because i will be a lame duck gm and so you know anytime i come to you asking for something you know we don't even know you know we don't have a relationship beyond 2024 you know what i mean so um it, it probably came down to an extension but that extension meant a little bit more probably uh given other context given the state of that division the core atlanta has in place you know what the phillies are doing right now how they spend the mets and their long-term intentions to spend well they've already done it but to spend as much as any franchise in the league if you go if you go to ownership in miami and say look here's what here's what we're up against Mm -hmm. we need more and that question could be asked a thousand different ways but the the answer is effectively yeah no we're not going to get to that level you, you might know like we're, we're just not going to consistently hit the goals we're trying to hit in this division given who three of these other teams are and that, that doesn't even mention the Nationals as another team that could pretty consistently outspend the Marlins historically has done a lot in free agency and has a nice core of young players coming up right now too so yeah I think you know choosing carefully and, and being able to possibly go out and get another job I'm really curious to see if Kim Ang ends up in Boston or, or somewhere else before long I wouldn't be surprised if if that's how this ends up uh, playing out uh, well, did, did not see the, that coming well yeah what was the other surprise you mentioned where you know the the White Sox Surprised us by locking oh. up Chris Getz so early, but uh, they could have had a choice of Kimang or, or who's the other? Bloom. Yeah. Bloom. Yeah, that was sort of a surprise. So right, and I, I, I think you know you and Britt sort of laughed at me for saying, "Hey, maybe maybe the guy that wasn't in charge has some new ideas, even though he didn't do particularly well in the role that he had in the organization." Right? Right. You don't think of the White Sox as this beacon of great player development. He did hire and, some interesting guys. Did you see he hired? Um, he hired uh, Brian Bannister. 
did not see that, but that's that's an interesting hire. Yeah. Uh, they were all former players. <laughs> all former players, probably They're players all you played players, with. But they were uh, former players that had been in analytics roles and uh, were a little bit more analytics forward. So, um, you know, there, I was I was the Bannister hire was an interesting one. I circled that a little bit. What I want to see for the sake of White Sox fans is I, I want to see new people brought into the organization with new ideas and a new approach because if it's more of the same, of course, you're not going to shake things up all that much. But had they waited, and I don't think there were other teams based on subsequent reports and everything, I don't think Chris Getz was necessarily going anywhere. So I don't think they had to hurry quite as much as they did and they missed out on opportunities to hire some you know, potentially higher ceiling, likely higher ceiling candidates that have come available in the time since. But hey, yeah, Jerry Reinsdorf had a plan <laughs> went ahead and stuck to it. Uh, one other Marlins thing, Jazz Chisholm had a turf toe procedure. That was expected throughout the season. He actually had a good year playing through that injury plus others. 19 homers, career high by one, 22 steals, one off his previous career high there. 97 games played. This is becoming a problem for Jazz too. Some of it's maybe the, the way he plays makes him more susceptible to injuries, but he had an oblique injury. In July, he had a toe injury in May. Both of those things put him on the IL, had a minor shoulder injury back in April, and this toe thing that was there for a good portion of the season. So I'm curious if you are at a point with Jazz where you say, you know, yes, there are injury profiles I run away from at early-ish mid-round prices, but there's enough he's done well around these injuries where I want to give it one more shot with Jazz in 2024. Yeah, I'm not quite going to throw the, the Byron Buxton tag on him yet. I mean, it's just not quite the same length of time of with these problems. He has a 507 plate appearance uh, on his ledger in 2021, and then 241 and 383 after that Jazz does. And so I feel like he could have a 507 again, you know? Like, that wouldn't be crazy. Also, the difference between him and Byron Buxton on some level is age. Byron Buxton is already 29. And that, that means he has, yes, this longer track record. You can see all these injuries, but also just means with injuries, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit more of a bounce back and a little bit more of a stretch to think of a 650 plate appearance year. Whereas a 25-year-old Jazz Chisholm, like if he had a 650 plate appearance year this, this year, he, it would be a little bit out of the norm, but it, I mean, it wouldn't be crazy. So uh, it would just be like, oh, finally, he had that, f- that, f- that final healthy year. And if he does do that, then I would see like, you know, what, 28 homers? I could see 30-30. Yeah, I, I think with, with Jazz, it's like the underlying numbers improved in 2022 in terms of the barrel rate and hard hit rate jumping. And he held some of those gains in barrel, 12.2% this year. And it's easy to say, well, maybe the injuries are part of the reason why he didn't fully repeat. That's at least possible. Mm-hmm. But he also made slightly better swing decisions for the second year in a row. He cut that O swing percentage down to 28.5%. It's the second year in a row he's pushed that in the right direction. That makes me think that the walk rate is at least steady where it's at right now, but there's still some room for improvement there. From a real-life perspective, that adds the value just getting him on base more to steal more bases, but also to score more runs. Um, so I think this is still its the type of profile that could be very much like uh, too risky for me in the future, but I haven't seen enough either. I I think if he's going pick 60 to 75, so like late round four, somewhere in round five, 15 team league, does that seem fair for you for jazz? 
Yeah. Um, let me do something real quick. I'm just going to... Uh, uh, this is like ROS. I don't think it has next year in it yet. Um, yeah, what is this? I don't even... <laughs> it says Bryson Stott has uh, 13 plate appearances projected and $128 value. So I don't think this is useful. <laughs> um, yes. uh, but I guess what I'll do in, instead is just look at uh, earned value uh, for 2023 in terms of second baseman. Um, you're talking about uh, bets uh, going first. Uh, Simeon and Albies going next. Nico Horner uh, up there. And then you've got the second base, quote-unquote, blob maybe, uh, which might be uh, Cattell Marte, Luis Arias, Gleyber Torres, and Jazz. Ah, but Jazz outfield only now. Oh. Thank you for pointing that out. So now Jazz goes up against uh, Randy Rosarena. No, Rosarena is higher than that. TJ Friedel was 23rd. George Springer. George yeah, Springer, Jazz Chisholm next year. Jazz. A lot of mm -hmm. ways for it to go right for Jazz. So maybe that's maybe that's a good would you rather? George Springer is uh, definitely somebody you would uh, pencil in for more plate appearances. He's also thirty four, and uh, you know you don't know how many homers you're going to give him. How about uh, Jazz versus Seiya Suzuki? I mean, Seiya Suzuki is just a really good all around player. Two eighty five, three fifty seven, four eighty five. Popped the twenty homers. Was not efficient as a base dealer in a season when. Everybody could steal a lot of bases, but quite a few things did go right in year two for Suzuki. Some injuries situation with Seiya. I'm a little surprised he got the 583 plate appearances given what my personal interaction with him was on my teams. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, uh, I think I'd take Seiya, but you know, the shape of Seiya's production is. A little bit more replaceable. Although I don't know if that's true anymore in the in the age of the hyper stolen base environment. Mm, here's another one for you. Dalton Varsho, also now, of course, an outfield only. Oh. Dalton Varsho versus Jazz Chisholm. Dalton Varsho has stayed very healthy, took a big step back in year one with the Jays. Upside I'm being Varsho. that I'm bounce, Varsho. bounce back. I like the it. counting stats could be so good for Dalton Varsho too in that lineup. I don't know why, I don't know, yeah, I guess in some weird way, like, you know, he never really had a great hard hit rates, but they're pretty good hard hit rates. He never had great barrel rates, but they're pretty good hard, uh, barrel rates. He has pretty good max EV. He has 27 homers on his resume. He steals bases. I mean, I, we're just looking for like a slight, a, like a slight adjustment in the offseason. And you would pencil him in for 550 plus plate appearances either way right and 20 homers and 15 stolen bases either way and then you're talking about upside beyond that i wonder what the categorical ceiling in batting average is for dalton varsho because jazz hits the ball harder on a regular basis at this point and but the Varsha power speed blend play. i mean in basically two-thirds as many games the power speed combo from jazz chisholm was right there 
And I, I yeah. think hitting the ball harder gives you a better chance of doing more on average for Jazz too. So unless unless you think Varsho, because of the K rate difference, is going to spray the ball all over and you know, hit 260, 270, because of that, I, I got to take Jazz. I, I think there's a... Hmm. Even with the injury concerns, I think there's quite a bit more to well, like in the. One of the things quality. I was doing with Jazz and with Buxton and all them was papering over runs on RBI with my hand and mm-hmm. getting really excited about everything else. Um, and I just have to push back with Varsho. Like, e- even if he doesn't hit 260, you know, the strikeout rates, that lineup, it should produce more runs in RBI. So now. I'm giving plate appearances and runs and RBI. And plate appearances is not normally a, a a category, but even among the five categories, I'm giving runs and RBI to Darton Varsho off the bat. Uh, I feel like we got our first 2024 bet uh, brewing here. I think I think Jazz beats them in those counting stats. Even too, in I think. runs and RBI. Yeah, because I think of the difference in where they're going to hit in their respective lineups. I, I think, yeah, quality of the lineup difference certainly favors Dalton Varsho, but Late appearances that works against Dalton Varsho. Oh, I'm ah. taking, I'm taking the plate appearances in the better lineup. So I'll, I'll I take love Varsho's it. runs in RBI. So if I'm taking runs in RBI for Devarsho, then you got then the, the other three categories, and yeah, I could see Jazz taking those three categories, which means that overall maybe you should take Jazz, but. You can see why it's difficult. Oh yeah, you know, no, plate appearances also give you more chances for the home runs and stolen bases. Yeah, even as bad as this season was for, for Dalton Varsha, he still popped twenty homers, stole sixteen bases. So it could have been worse, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got uh, an episode for next week, sort of written in pencil. If you have unusual hitter seasons that you'd like us to talk about, send us a tweet at Rates and Barrels. Or you could email, I guess, to ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. Just let us know which unusual hitter seasons you're most interested in hearing us discuss. We'll put some of those names on the rundown and talk about a bunch of guys that are very confusing coming off of 2023. We may have uh, introduced a few of them over the course of this episode just sort of organically, but we'll get to some more names on next week's episode. So if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on this video. If you're not watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. There could be some fun stuff that randomly shows up there someday. You never know. We've got big plans for the future. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.